It's good to be back with you again tonight. Appreciate everyone being here. It's good to have good friends back among uh, me, I guess. Um, Mark and Laurie and Joshua and Luke, they're dear to me. They call me, Joshua and Luke call me Uncle Kevin, and so that's all right with me. Uh, It's good to have good friends here visiting. Love you guys very much. Appreciate you all being here. It's good to see everyone else here as well, other visitors. Appreciate you all being here this evening. I wanted to talk a little bit tonight um, about something that we know very well, but yet may have not thought about exactly in the manner in which I'm going to present it. So I hope this will be encouraging to you. I want to start off by talking about um, how we speak often about how God's Word is so intricately woven together. We talk about this a lot. And how it's not just coincidence or happenstance um, that these things and these events transpire in the Bible. We look to the Old Testament and the things that happen. Our class on typology, when we looked at how those things of old pointed to the things in the New Testament, how the New Testament writers made those connections. And so we see how methodically and beautifully um, God reveals his intentions to his children. And how he uses recurring themes and symbols to demonstrate the full meaning of something over time. Something may be introduced like Melchizedek early in the book of Genesis and then all the way to the Hebrew writer. He picks up on Melchizedek again and makes that connection with Jesus Christ. And that's not just by chance. That's not just coincidence. This is how God's word is intricately woven together. Another thing, and this is what we want to talk about tonight, um, is the ark. If I mention to you the ark, what do you immediately think of? Noah's ark, probably, right? Probably think of Noah's ark. What's the second thing you think about? If The ark of the covenant. So when we hear that, we, we think about that and we understand, but um, there's one ark in between those two, and we're going to bring that out here as we We talk here in just a moment, but what I'd like to talk about tonight are indeed three arcs. So, as we mentioned, um, the first arc we normally think about is Noah's Ark. We understand God gave uh, a commission to Noah to build an ark, and we know that story very well. We've probably known it since we were kids, right? And then, as we mentioned, there's the Ark of the Covenant, And that was built um, to house the covenant. And it would eventually house a few more things as well. But that was, its main purpose was to to house the the tablets that Moses brought brought down from the mountain. But I mentioned there's one in the middle of of all these, or both of these. And that's the ark that carried the baby Moses. You remember that story. And in your translation in your Bible, we'll get there in just a minute, Exodus chapter 2. It might say a wicker basket or chest or something to those, along those lines, but in reality, it's an ark. So we want to look at these three and compare and contrast some things about these three arcs, and then we'll make some application of what it means to us today. And again, keep in mind how the Word of God is so intricately woven 
and how God uses these things to, to carefully and methodically and over time reveal what the true meaning of these things are. So let's talk about, first, about the construction of each one of these. Remember with uh, Noah's Ark, remember God gave him very specific plans on how to build it. He remember he told him he was to use gopher wood, right? He told him he was to build certain rooms inside of it. And remember what he said to cover the inside and outside of it with pitch. He said that it was to be 300 cubits long by 50 cubits wide by 30 cubits high. And there was to be a window, one cubit from the top. And there was to be a door on the side and there was to be three decks. It's very specific in the plans that God gave Noah to build the ark. Now, as we mentioned with the ark that, uh, that carried the baby Moses, there in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 3, it was an ark. I think the New King James and maybe the Old King James uses the word ark. New American Standard says wicker basket uh, with a note that basket just means chest. But look there what took place. Covered over with tar and pitch. Why? We know why, don't we? Because we want to make it watertight. Just like the Noah's Ark was covered over with tar and pitch to make it watertight. And there's a detail in there that says that um, uh, Moses' mother put him inside of it. It may seem like, a, a, you know, obviously. But she put him inside of it, and then he, she set it in the reeds among the bank of the Nile River. We know the story about what happens there. Um, how he would be discovered, and, and Moses would go on to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. What about the Ark of the Covenant? Again, very specific instructions on how to build uh, the Ark of the Covenant. It was to be made of acacia wood. The Ark of Noah, Noah's Ark was gopher wood. The Ark of the Covenant is acacia wood. No, nothing symbolic or anything about that, but just the specifics in which God commanded these things to be built. It was to be two and a half cubits long by one and a half cubits wide and one and a half cubits high. And it was to be overlaid with pure gold. I think it's interesting that all three of these have an overlay. But the Ark of the Covenant was to be overlaid with pure gold and it had a gold, a gold molding around it. It was to have four gold rings on the four feet. And in those rings, there were to be poles made of also acacia wood that would be inserted into the rings, and that's how they would carry the ark. Now, that's an important detail, especially to Uzzah, remember? <laughs> remember when they were going to move the, the ark on the, on the cart? They built a new cart to move the, to move the ark, and um, the ox stumbled, and Uzzah put out his hand to, to steady the ark, and God struck him dead. It goes back to this. That God had specific instructions on how these things were to be built and how they were to be transported. The testimony um, that God was going to give to Moses was to be placed inside of it. And then on top was going to be the mercy seat. And there's a whole other details there in Exodus 25 about the mercy seat, about the cherubim with the wings stretched out and touching each other. And um, There's more detail to that, but for, for sake of space and time, we'll... We'll stop there. But you see how specific, especially the Ark of the Covenant and Noah's Ark. 
keep that in mind as we go along. Now with these arcs, um, there was a purpose for building them, wasn't there? And with each one of these things, with each one of these arcs, the purpose for building them was deliverance. For Noah's ark, it was to deliver the eight souls, Noah and his three sons and, and their three wives and, and Noah's wife. They would be delivered through this catastrophic flood that was going to overtake the whole world. Deliverance for Moses initially, for him. Remember, there was an edict had gone out from Pharaoh that all the male children were to be killed, that would be thrown into the Nile River. Not in a basket, just thrown in the Nile River. So that was initially deliverance for Moses, but eventually it would be deliverance for the children of Israel because Moses would be their leader. And for the Ark of the Covenant, there's deliverance as well. And that's the deliverance of uh, the commandments of, of, of God being in, in the Ark and what the Ark would represent. It would represent the leadership and the deliverance of the children of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land eventually. So each one of these had its purpose of deliverance. Similar to that and along the same lines, there's something that is uh, meant uh, to the people that are involved in each one of these. For um, the, the people in Noah's time, what the ark meant, two things. It meant destruction, but it also meant salvation. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So in the building of the ark, there's two things that took place. There was salvation for Noah and his family, and there was condemnation for the rest of the world. So we see that this ark meant two things, destruction and salvation. For Moses, it meant salvation for him, like we um, mentioned, and ultimately Israel. Again, Moses is the one that's going to uh, deliver the people of Israel into the promised land. He's going to be their leader. Of course, we know he's going to fall just short of that, and Joshua's going to take over and actually lead them into the promised land. But Moses was the one that was commissioned to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we see the story there in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10 about the, uh, Moses and the ark that he was put in. And what about uh, the ark of the covenant? Again, this is God's presence. And this is the leadership that God would provide. In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, it says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will uh, give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. This is where God was going to meet with the high priest. And he was going to give them the commandments that they needed in order to serve him. So that's what it, this is what it meant uh, to the children of Israel, for the ark of the covenant. One thing I find interesting 
about these three arcs is the next thing that they, they have in common, and that is that they all three have a connection to water. Now, obviously, we understand about um, the floodwaters with Noah's Ark, right? That was the salvation. That was the deliverance um, for those eight souls. But if you look there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, and we'll look at this in a little bit more detail in just a moment, but it says there that, uh, that they were brought safely through the water. So Peter is using this connection. Um, he's going to go on and eventually talk about baptism in verse 21, where he talks about corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. So Peter uses this uh, deliverance through water to make the connection to baptism. And he talks about how the eight souls were saved through water and then connects that with baptism. Obviously, with the Nile River connected with um, the ark Moses was um, placed in. In verse t- uh, 10 of chapter 2, Pharaoh's daughter says she was going to call him Moses since I drew him out of the water. And the word Moses there means drawn. So the idea that she drew him out of the water, that's where the name comes from. So there's that connection. Moses being placed in the basket, being set adrift on the Nile River. There's that connection to water. And then another interesting connection here with the Ark of the Covenant. We mentioned that it was going to be Joshua that was going to lead them into the promised land. In chapter 3 of Joshua, as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land, they're carrying the ark ahead with them. The priests are carrying the ark, and it says there, beginning of verse 14, when the feet of the priests carrying the ark touched the water, it rose up in a heap, and they stood on firm, dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Isn't that an interesting connection? So here's the priest, they're carrying... The Ark of the Covenant, when their feet touch the Jordan River, the waters recede, and they can cross through on firm, dry ground. I think it's very interesting that all three of these have this connection to water. Let's talk about some New Testament references now. With, the, with Noah's Ark, there's a likening to the destruction of Jerusalem. And I know that these things seem like they're maybe disjointed, but we're going to pull all this together towards the end here. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is describing the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And he uses the the times of Noah as a way of explaining what's going to take place. It says there um, in Matthew 24, beginning around verse 36, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand it until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's using that connection of those in the days of Noah that were going on about their lives. Eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Until when? Until Noah entered the ark. And then only him and his family were saved and the rest of the world was destroyed. Jesus is making that connection, talking about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He's saying that the same thing's going to take place. There's going to be those who are going about their lives, yet there's destruction that's coming. The Hebrew writer uses the Ark of the Covenant uh, 
to talk about how it was a symbol for the old law. He says there in chapter 9, and verse 9, he's talking about the tabernacle containing the Ark of the Covenant. He says, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make uh, the worshiper perfect in conscience. The Hebrew writer is using the, the Ark of the Covenant to symbolize the old law. And the whole argument in the book of Hebrews is how the old law has been fulfilled. And now the new law, the law of Christ, has come in. But he uses the Ark of the Covenant as that symbol for the old law. A couple more connections we want to talk about in the New Testament. With Noah's Ark, there's a connection here uh, with salvation. We read this verse a minute ago. By faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. The Hebrew writer brings this up in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Remember what chapter 11 is all about. It's about the faith of people. And he says, by faith Noah did this. Was Noah saved just by his faith? Or did he have to do something? in order to be saved. He had the faith to build the ark. And in so doing, he saved his family, the eight souls that were saved there. So the Hebrew writer is using that connection to talk about faith and works. There's another connection to salvation. We mentioned this also in 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. Peter's using this events here of, of Noah. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And he's going to go on and talk about, obviously in verse 21, corresponding to that baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. He makes that connection. So he says, like that of Noah, how they were delivered through the water. Baptism now saves you. So there's another connection in the New Testament about the salvation. It was first talked about in, with Noah and the eight souls. Now that's a lot I've just given you. <laughs> and I hope I didn't go through too fast through all of that, but I wanted you to see the, how these three arcs are connected and how the New Testament writers talk about, with the exception of uh, Moses, the Ark of, of Moses, but how they use that to, to, to fully draw out and expand and fully um, reveal God's plan of salvation. So what does it all mean to us? Well, a few things. First of all, we can understand that two of these arks, Noah's Ark and the Ark of the, of the Covenant, were built by divine instruction. God gave specific plans to Noah. God gave specific plans to Moses about how to build the arks. We can also understand that all three of these arks provided deliverance. This was their purpose. God had a purpose for each one of these, and it was deliverance. We can also understand that all three of these had this connection to water. And then how Peter makes that connection to baptism. Water is so intricately woven throughout the whole 
history throughout the Bible. And then we can see how all three represented or were salvation. Each one of these has that salvation component in it. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, it says this, And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now, isn't that interesting? If we come all the way down to Revelation, as John is having his vision, and he's, he's being shown these scenes in heaven, starting in chapter 4, he says a door was opened into heaven, and he sees the Ark of the Covenant appear in the temple. In um, Homer Haley's commentary on the book of Revelation, he writes this about this particular um, verse. It says, as the section begins with the door opened in heaven, that is chapter 4 and verse 1, that's when, when John has uh, seen and, and been given the messages that are to go to the seven churches of Asia. Chapter 4 begins a new section in the book, and he talks about how a door was opened and he was able to look into heaven. It says, as the door was opened in heaven, in chapter 4, verse 1, so it ends with the temple in heaven open that he might behold the ark of God's covenant. The presence of God in the ark of his covenant assured his people that he would remember and keep his covenant with them. God was giving assurance to his people that whatever might come, he would keep his covenant with them, for it is ever before him. So, I think it's very interesting that as John is seeing these, this revelation, that he sees the Ark of the Covenant appear in the temple of God. And what does it mean? It means that God is going to keep his promise to his people. Why? Because it's ever before him. It's there in the temple, represented by the Ark of the Covenant. God keeps his promises. He kept his promises with the children of Israel. And he keeps his promises with us. It means that we can trust that God's promise of deliverance still holds true. It means that salvation is available to us. Just as it was for Noah, for Moses, for the children of Israel. It means that he purposely designed a plan by which we can access that salvation. God gave specific plans to Noah and, and to Moses about how to build these things. God has given us specific instructions as well, how we might come in contact with salvation. And we know what that is, by hearing and believing and repenting, confessing, and then being baptized. That's how we come in contact with the water. And that's how we are saved. But it also means that we have to take an active part in that plan. Was, uh, Paul posed the question again, was Noah saved strictly by his faith? Or was it the, by the faith that he built the ark? We have to play a part in our salvation as well. We have to do those things that we have been commanded to do. James sums it up this way. Show me your faith without works, 
and I will show you my faith by my works. There is that connection, faith and works. Yes, we have to have faith. As we mentioned this morning in our, in our lesson, without faith it's impossible to please God. But there's something we have to do as well. We have to have a faith that motivates us to act. It motivates us to come in contact with the baptismal waters. So if you're not a child of God, you're not in that relationship with him. You haven't come in contact with the waters. If as a child of God you're stumbling, and maybe you have fallen in your service to him, we offer this invitation now as we close the lesson. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.